Good afternoon, everyone. I've set a record today. I'm here at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I was waiting on a good friend of mine. Well, soon to be good friend. We're getting to know each other. Uh, Jeff Peterson with Shieldwall Archery Supply out of, uh, well, my, my hometown, sort of, Staten, Oregon, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. So uh, Jeff actually built me some some custom arrows, and it was about as cheap for him to fly out and deliver them and go visit uh, you know, us in Rocky Mountain as it was for him to ship them. Should tell you where we're at in this day and age uh, with COVID. Um, so he, he actually flew out here and delivered them to me. Why don't you want to go into uh, kind of what you guys offer with the custom arrows and, uh, you know, uh, some of the different, you know, options. Like I think a lot of people initially buy blazer veins on a standard shaft at their local archery range, but you can get pretty artistic and get really technical on the build. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So there's kind of two different uh, different avenues with the custom arrow building. We both do aesthetic stuff like, uh, you know, dipping the arrows and doing cresting and, and various things with fletching or whatever. And then we have the performance side of it where instead of just slapping an arrow together like you would get at your normal pro shop, we're taking that time um, with a couple different tiers to build a, a higher quality arrow with tighter tolerances that's really going to maximize the components that you're getting or kind of make up for you not getting the best components. Um, basically, we're, we're trying to offer the services that someone like a, a Levi or you, Aaron, um, or you know someone that's shooting at a high level is going to do for their own arrows. For those folks that either don't have the time, they want to spend time killing stuff instead of building arrows, or um, they just don't have the, the tools or a good pro shop around them. We're trying to bridge that gap you know, in this whole shipping everything uh, online day and age. Oh yeah. And I, I, I was talking, I had a guy on the podcast earlier, a friend of mine from out here and we were talking about, um, kind of the history of arrows, arrow builds. And, you know, like I haven't, um, you know, I used to float my aluminums back in the day in the, in the bathtub. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, I didn't wrap arrows for quite a while and then I started wrapping arrows and then as, you know, as time's gone on, you know, indexing and tuning. And if you know, um, if you know what you're doing and you have time in, in the, in the spirit of total honesty, if you have all the gear, um, something like what you offer isn't necessarily needed, but you need the knowledge and you're going to need <laughs> some expensive gear, um, out of the gate. Like somebody asked me, said, Hey, if I want to build professional level, uh, arrows, what would it cost me? What's a Ram tester? Um, oh, I, I want to say it's pretty close to 300 bucks. Y- yeah. For the I new think one. actually they might be in a little more than that. And then in the case of like a Bitsenberger or a, like I use the last chance as well. Mm-hmm. The last chance is 300 and some dollars. The Bitsenberger is like 129, but then you only have one. Right. It's just the one you got to have a bunch of them. If yeah. You, do it with any <laughs> you got to have the speed, la- the lazy Susan thing. So if you have an unlimited amount of time, which I don't know that any of us do, um, I guess what I'm getting at when you called me about this, I was super excited because I am tired of building arrows. And even with the spray, quick dry compound and everything else, just sitting down and fletching a dozen arrows, spinning them, getting the tolerances correct. It's probably mm, four hours, I would say, five hours pretty easily with interruptions and everything else. And then, you know, when you talk about spine alignment, well, why don't you want to go into that a little bit? And, and I can too, but um, talk about like spine alignment where that's going to benefit someone um, as far as accuracy goes. 
Yeah, absolutely. So with all of this stuff, um, spinal lining just being a component, everything is about getting each arrow to be a clone of every other arrow in the bunch. Um, you know, the tuning and everything is its own deal, but you want to make sure that every arrow is going to be as close as, as humanly and, and technologically possible as, as the other ones in the group um, to help shrink down, uh, I really like this term, the, the cone of uncertainty. You know, if you have a, a rifle and it's one MOA, you know, you know, you're going to have that one inch group at 100 yards. Same simple situation with a bow. You're going to have, you know, a, a quote unquote MOA for your bow. Um, and if you're going to have a, a, a three grand bow set up with all the accessories and everything, you know, bells and whistles you put on it, but you're not going to spend that time or money on your arrows it's kind of like buying a Gunworks gun and running wolf ammo from, from Walmart through it. You're just not going to see that performance. Um, so as far as the spine stuff, you know, when they're, when they're making the arrows, obviously you're wrapping the carbon around there and you got one part of your shaft that's, uh, you know, they're going to be the stiffest portion of that entire thing. Um, when your arrow fires, it's going to bend, you know, in the case of a traditional bow around the riser or kind of up um, and around with a compound. And it's going to want to bend against that spine point so if you make sure that spine is in the same spot you know relative to where your arrow is sitting on the bow with with every arrow um, they're all going to shoot theoretically the same way now you can fine tune that a little bit um, you know with knock tuning after you're you know you're getting each one of your arrows ready during your final micro tuning process but if you start with a spine aligned shaft it saves you a lot of headache and it's going to help reduce some of those weird flyers you might get um, that are going to cause you headaches when you're tuning. Because if you have, if you're tuning with three arrows and one of them's out of spec from the other ones, you're always going to be chasing your tail. And that's just a nightmare. It is. One of the other things I don't know that's mentioned that much, and probably the number one question I get is my veins won't stick. Uh, <laughs> and I get that question a lot. Yeah. Trad veins are even worse because that's, well, you just glued these up. That tiny little base is hard to. You're telling me. Yeah. So. I actually, on my Bitsen burger, I had to file the, the clamp down to get uh, full adhesion. So mm -hmm. I shoot two or three degree, I don't measure it, two or three degree offset and a left helical. Well, as you shifting for a left helical, it causes inconsistencies. Like, I know people think a $100 clamp is, uh, is expensive, but in reality, to, for when you talk about that tight of tolerances, that clamp is, is not the most uh, accurate thing in the world out of the gate. Uh, if when you talk about, uh, precision, because that base on that vein is so small, if it's a bigger base, it, that bigger base makes up for inconsistencies with that smaller base. If I'm touching in the front and in the back, but not the middle or vice versa, I have to take a file, file that clamp down to get full adhesion. Um, you take care of that for everyone, obviously. So that simplifies a lot of things as well. And that's just getting a fletching to stick and, I don't know how many times I have people message me where all their veins fell off. Um, what all the what all different veins and things like that do you guys work with or, or offer? So um, the the ones we're keeping on the ground, we've got the uh, both the blazer and the heat veins from um, from boning for guys who want those ones. We also do the AAE um, Max Stealth and the Pro Max, um, as well as the trad veins. Uh, we do you know a full line of feathers obviously from gateway and then um, we just recently brought in the tack driver ones which i'm i'm really excited to give a shot they seem they seem pretty legit i'm uh, personally a much bigger fan of a longer shorter vein um, than kind of a short tall one like a uh like a blazer yeah i'm in the same boat as you and and for years i had kind of uh i try i had tried to let people know that like a four three inch low profile veins 
is is better in the long run than uh, three, let's say, high profile veins. Uh, wind drag would be one of them uh, that I really noticed the difference with the higher profile veins, but also just contact on the rest. The higher profile can be a little bit uh, of an issue uh, with vein contact. I, and I just just had better grouping, especially with broadheads with lower profile veins. Um, when you when you got this kind of going or whatever, did you uh, like was this something because that you thought it was missing in the market or something that you like to do or a little bit of a combo of everything? Um, definitely both. So when I first got started taking traditional archery, like really seriously, and I've been shooting since I was a kid, I've always shot a recurve. Honestly, I'm, I'm better with my Bob Lee than I am with my, my PSE compound, but, um, at least out to 20. But the, uh, when I was trying to, to really take it serious there, when I moved to Oregon, there just was not a shop available that, that would even square arrow shafts. Um, ones that, you know, would want you to, you know, I tried to go in to do bear shaft tuning, you know, session and want to have them cut off a 16th at a time and re-square it. And, um, you know, they hadn't dealt with any of the components or anything I dealt with. It was right when Valkyrie uh, kind of first launched and I was using their setup. And I was just really dissatisfied with the lack of, you know, experience and expertise that you expect from a pro shop. So I just started doing it all myself. And honestly, I think that for anybody that's really into archery and that doesn't just use it as an avenue for an, another season to hunt, nothing is going to make you learn your craft better than building your arrows because it's, it's just really an in-depth process that you have to, to learn and, and iterate on things. Um, but we started, basically we started this by having a lot of the gear ourselves. Um, and then I have a good friend of mine that worked in an archery shop. Um, that was a really good tech. He's, uh, you know, my business partner now and, um, my bow hiking partner, cause we never kill anything, but we, you're uh, geographically screwed Oregon sucks. Oh, you're, yeah, you're telling me <laughs> this was a, uh, a rough year. I had, I had two whole weeks off straight for elk hunting. Um, we had a week off for bear season. We took a week long for a scouting trip during the summer. Tons of time, but but just didn't make it happen. Um, anyway, we just we wanted to offer something that we that we weren't getting, um, and we were getting asked to build stuff for our friends and for their friends. So we just decided, hey, we already have all this stuff. We built out my garage to be this kind of sweet man cave archery shop situation. Um, so why not kind of open it up to the public and help people out? So that's what that's what we've been doing, and then starting to see that that lack of I couldn't really find anything online for someone to to build high grade arrows. Um, or at the very least, build high-grade arrows with those high-grade components that people are expecting. So we, we've partnered with um, you know Valkyrie Day Six and Iron Will, so we can build arrows, you know, with this really high-end spec with these really high-end components for people, and they can all just show up at the door ready to go exactly how they want them, um, you know, with that nicer stuff instead of having to go buy them online, have all the tools, and do it yourself. Yeah. And it, like I said before, it is expensive. I mean, I have all my own, um, stuff at the house as far as, uh, jigs and, and I have a Ram tester. I, I don't have time is my, my biggest issue. And I go through quite a bit of arrows between hunting and, and, uh, and, and testing. Uh, so it gets, it gets a little bit, um, well, like I said, four to five hours, I would say realistically, I'm sure people are listening in and saying, Oh, I can build a dozen in, you know, whatever. If you're just licking and sticking and throwing on veins, I have no doubt you can do a dozen in 30 minutes to an hour. But for the consistency, and obviously if you're doing wraps or cresting, cresting takes, cresting's a pain in the ass. I tried it once and then I tried it enough to know I shouldn't be cresting arrows because it literally looked like a kid puked on, it looked like a Jackson Pollock photo. Uh, I just 
it's not my thing. The cresting, how long does it take you to, to, to crest a, a dozen arrows? Um, so it really depends on the pattern. Um, the biggest time is just the wait time for the for the paint to dry in between coats. And then depending on what colors you're doing, sometimes certain colors need more coats, like the, the fluorescent colors, for instance, don't cover very well. Um, and then if we're doing anything special, we, we've kind of gone outside of the box of normal cresting and wanted to bring some some modern stuff into it and just kind of mix it up so it's not so fuddy-duddy. I mean, as much as I like the old school cool of it, um, you know, it all cresting kind of looks the same. So we've brought in some uh, hydro dip options, which look really cool, kind of give a, a variation with different colors all through it. We can combine that with standard cresting on top of it. Um, we've also gotten to some cool different tail coatings and stuff. Like we did some arrows for uh, Jake Downs' daughter where they were all um, kind of pink and white and uh, like baby blue hydro dipped. And then we did a glitter tail on it. So the last like three inches of them had a, had a glitter all over it and, uh, and then crested on top of that. But so that sort of thing can take, I mean, a week of, of just mostly waiting for paint to dry. As, as an example for somebody that, um, I'll just pick the arrow I shoot. Somebody wants two, 300 spine rampages. Uh, can they do, so like if they want the, what are some of the packages, I guess, like in pricing, because some guys may just want some veins thrown on and not uh, a larger package. Some may want, like me, I wanted cresting and the whole spine alignment and the whole nine yards. What are the different pricing and packages and things like that that you that you guys offer? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as far as the tiers for the for the performance stuff, we have a very basic that we just call the kind of the pro shop standard. That's a three fifty an arrow. That's you know we're gonna cut them for you. We're gonna square everything because every arrow that goes out the door, every cut squared. I just don't see any reason why people shouldn't do that. It doesn't take that long. Um, and then we just you know we glue your fletchings on, we glue your inserts in, and you're out the door. It's a very simple build. Uh, for kind of your more budget conscious situation from there we go up to what we call our hunter grade which is kind of the 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 best bang for your buck kind of 80 20 situation we're going to spin all your arrows find the wobbliest end to cut off of um, if we can't find a really you know wobblier end than the other we're going to cut evenly from both ends to just theoretically keep it the straightest section um, we're going to weight sort all of the components to make sure you don't end up with you know arrows that are wildly disparate in weight um, and do everything built with the uh, you know that precision in mind and that attention to detail. That includes broadhead alignment if you're getting broadheads from us or you send us broadheads, spine aligning you know and wraps um, and fletching. And then we have what we call our pro grade, like a tournament grade service. Um, oh, sorry, that that previous one was a 750 for the the hunter grade. And then we have the uh, the tournament grade service that's 1050 an arrow, and that's really pulling out all the stops. If you want any goofy thing done to your arrow, you want to sprinkle it with holy water or something you need, we'll do that for you. Um, it's just a, a step above that hunter. Not only do we weight sort everything, but we actually modify some components um, to get them all to be the same weight. You know, we'll shave off the back of the threads of points to get them all to be within you know 0.2 of a grain from each other. Same with uh, the hardware, the outserts or inserts. We weigh and match all of the veins. Um, we just did a we just did that for a guy actually in Texas, and across the entire dozen of arrows, we were able to get a, a 0.2 grain variance. There was nothing more than 0.2 grains from anything else. Um, and again, that's 1050. As far as the cresting goes, um, most of your basic cresting, we just charge five bucks an arrow. That's just pretty simple. It, it kind of averages out. If you get a really easy cresting, you know maybe it's 
you know, a $4 service. And, and if it's really, really simple, we can work on that. Um, but it kind of just splits that splits that gap. Um, one thing we are offering too is something we call a, a grouser's dozen. You don't have to do this, but it's the same price. And what we do is we'll do 10 of your arrows all the same, and then we'll take two of the arrows and hydro dip them and then do a matching pattern with offset colors on it. The idea being is that if you have five or six arrows in your quiver, you can leave uh, a stumping point or a small game point um, in the back of your quiver and not have to worry about accidentally grabbing the wrong thing because it, it looks different, but it matches the rest of the aesthetic uh, pretty well. Um, and, and again, like in Aaron's case, you know, he could put different broadheads on it if he wants to have, you know, um, in his, in his uh, compound setup, he wants to have cut on contact and expandables. You could put your expandables on, you know, that hydro dipped one and, and be able to see it real quick and not mess that up. Yeah, and it definitely trad or compound. Like, I don't always uh, carry a, a stumper arrow, but sometimes I'll have, oh, let's say uh, a two-inch wide cut-on-contact fixed blade for my stick bow arrow. And and that one is not a shot, a, a broadhead, a two-inch wide <laughs> cut-on-contact fixed blade. You want to be launching at any kind of distance. So I always have um, some kind of a marker for different broadheads because I usually shoot at least two broadheads at one time both on my compound and on my stick bow so i try to differentiate it with a, a knock or something where this actually makes it even easier to to see and they're cooler looking which is a bonus as far as the um, just because you're from my 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 hometown area have you lived there get off the subject of arrows for a minute have you lived there your whole life i have not um actually oregon is my 11th state that i've lived in uh in my short 29 years we uh a nomadic family moved a lot and had a bunch of different jobs all over the place. So I moved to Oregon in 2012, uh, met my wife. We got married and had to have a couple kids. Uh, we moved back down to Southern Utah for a short period of time for me to take a different job um, and try to be closer to my folks because they live in Salt Lake. And um, that just didn't work out because there are no trees down there. And it, although it's really pretty like one month out of the year, it's either balls hot or freezing cold the rest of the time. So we moved back to Oregon and bought a house out in state. And we've been back up there for probably three or four years back in Oregon. So I like it. I do a lot of fishing out on the beach and, and in the rivers and stuff like that. But um, the big game hunting is definitely lacking. Yes. I don't go back. Uh, I don't go back home and hunt too much. Um, a lot of friends, you know, there are successful hunters back there. It's just not as good as where I'm currently located in other, <laughs> other states that I hunt. Um, from, I'm, worried about, uh, I'm worried about moving, though, because if I move, then I'm not going to have a good excuse about why I never fill any tags besides my Christmas tree tag. Oh, <laughs> uh, Lord. Yeah, it could happen. I don't know how successful I'd be if I lived in Oregon um, just because, uh, like, my, my I used to hunt the Pacific Crest Trail and the Cascade Mountain Range there, and, uh, part of it burnt to the ground uh, by Three Finger Jack, which was several years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but then that new fire just came through, and it burnt my parents' house to the ground. Like, my whole childhood is is nothing now, but ashes, it burnt my whole Detroit is gone. I mean, it burnt the whole city to the ground. So Yeah, all those trails you built when you were a kid are all all burnt off. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, so how long, how long have you been doing this? How long ago did you get started? So, I mean, as far as the actual, uh, the business side of it, we just hope we just started at the beginning of this year, um, which is absolutely fantastic time to start a small business right in the middle of COVID and a super blue state with tons of lockdowns. But, um, you know, we're, we're getting through it and doing what we can. Uh, as far as I've been shooting, I, I mean, I've had a bow, I've had a recurve since I was six. Um, and I've been shooting, shooting the whole time, got really serious into tuning and everything probably 10, 11 years ago. Um, 
and just been growing since then. It's I like building stuff and I like uh, I like archery, so it's kind of the perfect mix. Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Have you noticed much? Of, has there been an a, an up or a downturn in archery in general uh, that you've noticed, whether it be in Oregon or across the lands? I'd say Oregon's Oregon's growing. Um, I mean, it's hard to say with only a year in there, but I I get a lot of folks who you wouldn't think are are would be interested in archery at all that are, you know, telling me, Hey, I'm looking to get into it. You know, what do you recommend for a bow? You know, I've got a lot of friends, you know, that I've worked with that, um, again, they, their main hobbies are playing, you know, Fortnite or something. So I, I'm not really sure why, uh, archery stuck out to them, but it, it seems to be catching on for sure. Uh, especially the traditional archery it's, it's really taken off, which I love cause I've been a trad guy from day one. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice not to be alone anymore. Yeah. It seems that way. I obviously, um, being on a lot of different podcasts other than my my own and getting, you know, uh, successful hunt photos, you know, through my inbox and everything else. When I started in um, 16 with the traditional side of things, it definitely seems like it's it's grown since then. Um, and, you know, my, my buddy Scotty, uh, he's a guy, I, I hunt with him and I, I guide for him. And you know, even he, like, there's javelinas all over on one of the properties we hunt in, uh, I'm bringing him down a, a recurve because he's mm-hmm. like, man, I'd like to try because he shoots mine in the yard. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you might as well give it a whirl. And I see even if you don't hunt big game with it and javelinas, you know, come by or turkeys or like it can be addictive. Well, he learned real quick because he's, you know, unloading my quiver on my recurve. He's like, dude, this is fun. And I'm like, it, it, it's addictive, man. Like it can be very, very addictive. And and to me, like, you know, I've hunted with a compound for you know, my whole life and, and kind of made fun of stick bow guys. And then I picked it up and then obviously now I'm totally enamored with it and can't stop. Um, archery in general, it's kind of, I like it cause it's all kind of on you. Um, in the sense of you get out of it, what you put into it. So if you put, you know, if you practice a lot and, and truly become a student of the sport, learn how to build arrows and strings and learn how to tune and, you know, you, you get out of it again, what you put into it. So you can kind of see that it seems like people are learning that or starting to come to grips with, with that mentality or process. If you truly become kind of a, a, a student of the sport, you're going to be far above someone that just hits the, you know, the easy button. Sometimes when I say the easy button, like I don't mind, obviously somebody building my arrows, but mm, if you take your bow down to the bow rack once a year to have them, you know, work on it for you and sight it in. It's not quite the same as you tuning it yourself and learning how. And I just learned to tune it a kind of like judging yard at a young age, learned to judge when I was young, we didn't have range finders and it's definitely helped me, you know, long in the long run to, mm-hmm. to know how to tune a bow or build an arrow or, or tune an arrow and, and, and judge artists, things like that. And anymore, the, the easy button does get hit sometimes, but I do know a lot of different people that are immersed in this that didn't seem to be that way a few years ago. So I don't, that could be the wrong. I mean, that's for me from the outside looking in, but no, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, it, it seems, it seems to me, and this is probably getting a little high minded, but archery, it, it seems to be kind of fundamental to like the human experience. I mean, you can leave, uh, guys and, and, and girls and in a room for an extended period of time of any age with enough office supplies and you're going to have somebody make a bow out of pins and rubber bands and shit like that it's just hardwired into us and, and my and my my buddy brett's gonna laugh at me because he thinks this is this is off the wall but 
it's really like the first human invention. Everything else was a, a variation of a, of a previous thing. I mean, a spear is just a, a better version of a sharp stick. You know, we didn't invent fire. We just learned to harness it. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we didn't really make so much as improve, but the, the bow and arrow is really like the first fundamental foundational human technology. I mean, there's no bow in nature. You can find a bent stick to fling something, but that would be a catapult. We don't hunt with those. So it, the fact is that one day there was nothing, there was no bow. And the next day someone tied a string between a bent piece of stick and launched a, a second stick with it and theoretically hit something. So it's, it's, it's a cool thing to think about. It's really uniquely human um, and anybody can do it. It's not physically taxing, but it is physically demanding in the sense you work on form and you have to be physically present. Uh, it's very meditative. It's, it can be scaled to anybody. You know, if you're going to shoot targets, you can shoot with a 15 pound bow like my six year old does, or you can shoot with a 80 pound bow like, you know, you or, or Captain Hammer wants to do. Um, you know, it just, it, it's anybody can do it. I honestly think anybody and everybody should pick up archery. I think, uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a reason to not. Yeah. And you find that a lot in, um, uh, the local archery ranges here. They, uh, kids birthday and, mm-hmm. you know, birthday parties there. And then 15 kids come to the birthday party and, 10 of them come back with their parents because they, they liked it. And then the parents get involved in it because, it, again, it's family, uh, very family-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my case, like, um, you know, my daughter shoots, my wife shoots, my wife hunts. Um, but when we get bored, I got a 3D range at the house, so we just go out and shoot. It's something we can do together. Um, you know, and it's it's gotten her to work on um, mental control. Mm-hmm. Um, she got a little bit of target. She's a control freak. And so target panic is it's a bitch when you have you're a control freak because you can't control the movement of the pin, which she has trouble with. And so it's helped her with that, you know, as, as well. So, and in fact, she was, I'm sure as soon as I get home, I'm going to be placing an order through you for her. Um, yeah. We'd love to do some, uh, do some, some cool stuff that she'd be into. Yeah. She, I taught her how to build arrows, but the same thing time. I mean, time. Yeah. She can, she can do it, but lately she's been, she's uh, got a PhD in feeding our two dogs. Um, do we feed them raw meat? That's all she does is they eat four pounds a day each. So that's pretty much all she does is make food for the, the animals, it seems like, anymore. But she doesn't mind, you know, fletching arrows. Like, she can sit there, and, but it's still, I mean, it's a time suck. So people ask me all the time about um, sh- should they go to a, someone like you. And my opinion is, hey, man, learn to build your own just so you know how. But they're probably, it, when you have somebody that does something for a living, like, I don't know, mechanics, right? I can change my oil. There's certain things I can do, but when there's something I need done correctly, I don't do it myself because I'm not a mechanic. I may know how, but I go to someone that's actually a professional at it. And, and that's what I tell, I'm like, Hey guys, if, if you've got the money and uh, you don't have the time and you don't certainly don't have the equipment, you can't go to a pro shop and ask them to provide a service that you're providing. It's just not fair to the pro shop unless they have um, additional pricing because pro shops have a the standard build right it's Mm -hmm. it's they cut the arrow down and (laughs) glue your shit in and you're that's it right if you want above and beyond meaning cut more than like all pro shops are going to cut off the end of one side right right? the other side may be the crooked side Mm -hmm. you're not paying them to do any more than that you're you're paying in my opinion you you buy the dozen arrows from them, they cut them down for free. Mm-hmm. Anything above and beyond that is is an extra charge, and it's a pain in the ass. It, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I can tell you right now, because I usually build three to four dozen at a time, 
for me to truly build them like you do to do four dozen arrows will probably take me tax title and license off and on two to three weeks. Definitely two. I can't do it all at one time. Mm -hmm. Another time I spin them all and I mark them and spinning four dozen arrows and really being anal and marking both sides takes a lot of time. Yes, it does. And then you got to cut them down. So by that time, one evening's gone. Mm -hmm. All right. So now that I've got them cut now, I'm going to, you know, put the knock in, um, you know, and, and start whether it be the wrap. So let's say it's wraps instead of cresting. Generally, out of every dozen wraps, I'm going to screw one up, maybe two, um, rolling them on. And normally, you know, I peel that off and I got some sticky on there. I got to clean that off. Once I get that rigmarole finished, now I'm down to the veins. If you're using a higher, something with a larger base than a trad vein, it's a little bit easier to get it to stick. But when you talk about the spine alignment portion of it, when you talk about, you know, if you're doing four fletch, um, you know, and, and occasionally you're going to have one that doesn't stick. Occasionally, you know, you might, your clamp might slip. You're going to have all these different things and four dozen arrows where by the time you're done, if you logged in the hours of, of building four dozen precisely, you've got some serious man hours locked into that. And I don't think people realize that at times because they you know i've had people like i went to my local shop they wouldn't cut the arrows off of each end i'm like yeah they don't offer that like they 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 don't and they're like well what if i pay them extra and i'm like i don't know if they'll do it want to or even have the knowledge to where when i say knowledge i guess as i'm rambling on how do you feel about this do you think like to me if you pay 129 dollars for a dozen fletched arrows all you're getting out of that is the arrow to be cut from a pro shop, and that's all you should get without paying extra. Are you in agreement with that? Or oh yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's why we offer that kind of entry level one for guys that want to do that. Um, it's an option, but you know you get what you're paying for. You're paying for someone's time. You're paying for their tools. You're paying for their expertise. You're paying for all of the history that they've had and every bit of everything that they've ever learned so that they can do the product properly for you. So, and the other side of it with an, with an archery pro shop that has like a physical brick and mortar and they're doing that kind of stuff. And this isn't anything to knock against what they want to be doing or their values or, or whatever. But the realities of their business is that they need to have turns of products on their shelf. They are not making money on service. They are losing money on service. Service is a carrot to get you in the door they're barely covering the time of their employees if they're, you know, just having them fletch up arrows and it's really just to kill time. They're making money on sights and rests and bows and stuff that's coming off the shelf, getting bolted on your bow and, and more or less sent on your way. Um, so yeah, to expect a shop and to go in and demand all these things when it's not part of their setup or, you know, maybe they've never spined an arrow. They don't have a ram tester. They're not going to go buy a spiner, learn how to do it or teach someone how to do it just so that they can spine your arrows for an extra two bucks an arrow. This is not going to happen. So it's it's not really fair for there. But again, that's what we try to set up. We don't have that turn and burn mentality. You know, I'm kind of stuck at home with COVID. I got time on my hands, um, you know, and this stuff, this stuff continues to grow. We're not in a turn and burn situation. We can spend our time making each arrow right and spending, you know, having that attention to detail. And we found some efficiencies with focusing on arrows like we mark ends and find spines on arrows when they come in before they're even ready to go on stuff. Yeah. Some of the arrows we're selling are going to get spined when, you know, someone's theoretically not paying for it. But on our end, if I have enough spare hours, you know, while I'm waiting for my kid to finish with this, you know, COVID at home school situation, I can knock out some work and it doesn't cost me anything really to fiddle fart in the garage. So, um, 
so yeah, it, it's it's definitely going to get something. Get what you pay for. Yeah, and and again, I and and you said it. Um, it's not a slight towards uh, pro shops. It's just a matter of um, how life works and in that turn and burn mentality. Um, it, again, it's not a negative side. It's it's what you're paying for. That's what you get when you go to a pro shop because they don't have time to do that shit. And and quite honestly, you know, in, in the reality, <laughs> you generally have in a big pro shop two to three people working there in a big one. Um, oh, yeah. At, at least two or three that know what they're doing, let alone, you know, mm-hmm. they might have a bunch of hourly Little guys. Kids or yeah, whatever. whatever. And so out of those three, if you have two people getting a bow set up at one time, the third one probably does not have the three hours it takes to spin the arrows, mark them. And, and, and if they did, and they could, the, the price of those arrows would probably triple, double for sure. Um, I'm only going off of the hundreds of thousands of arrows I've built that looking back, um, I certainly, uh, well, up until this point, Tracy at Rocky Mountain has been building my arrows because I don't have time, right? I just, hey, Tracy, throw these wraps on and build them. He says it all the time. He's like, dude, it takes, because I dropped four dozen arrows off. He's like, Christ, that's half a day. And I don't ask him to do anything. I've already mm-hmm. done the spinning and the cutting, right? And so that'll cut up one guy, four dozen, by noon. His He has done nothing else but build my arrows. Right. And, and pro shops just can't do that. So I'm I'm actually, you know, pretty excited about, like, what you offer uh, to people. Because, one, it's an avenue for I can send people to to have them built mm-hmm. uh you know and then they can add flair like a lot of guys i'm like hey man if if you want to just wrap them normally have them wrap like have you wrap a dozen of them with just wrap and then your pretty ones for you know your kill arrows then put some more money into a cresting sure. and and that's another option i mean you you can um and, and I, I some people have ocd they want them all the same i get that <laughs> but you know for me if i'm gonna go and shoot stumps I may not have um, you crest those. I may have you wrap them and have a little bit lesser um, uh, option for that. Just because, I mean, for me, the last thing I want to do is have you build me a dozen kick-ass arrows and I go outside and start firing them into plywood for testing. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I talk to guys about custom builds and things like that, I'm like, hey, man, if you need two dozen custom crestings, get those. Your third dozen arrows, just have them wrap them so they're close to the same spine, um, you know, because of the weight on the ass end. Mm-hmm. You've got a dozen stumpers. you got two dozen killing arrows. Yeah. That that way you're not pissing away all you. Now, some guys just can't do that. They just have OCD. I'm like that. Yeah, I have to have everything pretty much identical. Mm. And there's a lot of guys, which I get, there's a lot of guys like that. Um, and there's nothing, I mean, a crested arrow is, I don't give a shit what wrap you put on it. A crested arrow looks cooler than a wrapped arrow, even the ones that are fake crested. <laughs> and I tried that, you know, for a while, and I kind of just finally went to reflective white wraps. Um, right. Yeah, those work great. Yeah, and but it, with those, and again, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with with doing a a, a wrap. It is, it is just they get dinged up easy. Um, I've noticed uh, crested they last longer. Um, they definitely last longer, and they're way easier to fix a vein or a fletching that you jacked up. You know, if you shoot through your veins and you got to replace them, if you have a wrap, I have a hell of a time getting them cut off. I usually have to take the wrap off, rewrap it, and refletch the whole thing. Where the 100%. cresting, usually I can just you got to be a little delicate with it. You don't want to be taking a hacksaw to it, but you know you take a razor blade to it. You can scrape off your vein pretty good, and when you put the vein over it, that's super 
super glue will reseal any clear that might have chipped off and you're back to the races and it looks basically identical to how it did before yeah the other thing it does a good job of with um you know when you cut uh, a wrap off it's almost like um putting an imperfection in carbon it's a weak spot it'll probably peel mm-hmm. um when you do that with a crest it's not going to peel up like a wrap will and anybody that's refletched a ton of arrows you can't cut part of a wrap off and refletch it it's just a shit just doesn't work out where with like you said if i start with my knife and just cut that bad vein out it's easy for realignment because it gives me my little marker map mm-hmm. to set up my clamp and then two i don't have to worry about peeling off later so I tried the cresting thing. I just sucked at it. Um, I bought a crester and everything, and then I ended up selling it because I'm like, it's like tying flies. It's just not for me. And I can't, I can't tie fly. I don't even like to fly fish. I, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even do it. But for some reason, I can do cresting. Now, Brett is my partner. Is a much better crester. He is just like a little, you know, you give him an Adderall or something, and he's just going to town, just focusing super hard on a on a hair straight line. But um, I do pretty good at it. Um, the cresting also offers some cool opportunities. It's hard to say like, okay, this cresting pattern is going to weigh 15 grains. I can't guess that, but they're super, they're super close to each other in weight. You know, if I crest a whole dozen arrows, normally there's not more than a grain variance in the cresting weight. And then I can make that up with the veins and everything on the tail end to, to kind of make them all match. But not only do you get that toughness and, and all those other things, but you can play with the weight on the back of your arrow. You know, if you're trying to get higher FOC for some reason or you want a really light compound arrow, we can do cresting on the back of your arrow that's lighter than a wrap um, because it doesn't take that much with a really thin paint to, to get that to look good. Um, you know, they're totally custom and it weighs less. Conversely, if you need it to weigh more, which... Um, I I was talking to a guy about this the other day, really long draw length, heavy poundage bow, like something like Bomar's going to shoot to try to um, hunt turkeys with a guillotine head. You know, he was talking about how how hard it was to find a stiff enough shaft. Well, you can easily, if you're throwing some extra coats of paint and you're going through the full dip process, you can easily put 30, 40 grains on the back of an arrow and really stiffen it up. If you, you know, you just don't, if you're out of parameters to work with, that's something you can add. Very rarely are you going to want to add that weight. Um, but in certain situations, it can be really handy, and there's not really a lot of options to add uh, tail weight. And on some of mine where, the, where they've weighed a little bit more, I've noticed, because I crest before I tune um, so that I'm starting with that weighing the way it's what it's going to weigh, I have found that my arrows recover a lot faster when I have a little bit more weight on the tail and weight on the front with it, where it's kind of a little lighter in the middle. I'm not sure if it affects how it bends. i got to talk to Cody Greenwood or something about doing some experiments, but, um, I think that guy to talk to Jesus Christ, that dude will drive you crazy. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Well, you know, if you want to get answers, you got to go to some anal retentive uh, engineer nerd. He's, he's funny. Um, I was just on a hunt with him and, uh, I get, it's where everybody's brain works differently, right? I'm a, a knuckle dragger from Oregon. And so my testing, um, is by sheer numbers, meaning right. shoot enough animals, right? Or 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 I'll build with iron wheels the same way. Our 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 results are the same, um, but that we find out way differently by our testing, if that makes any sense. So oh yeah, they're running at way more of a higher level, different machines, and um, you know when they're running like broadhead tests or you know where I just go out and, and shoot and uh, I with Cody, the way his brain works and the guiding Cody is just a, a pure joy. Everything is a number, right? Everything is statistic. Like 
what's the percentage we have on killing this animal? What's the percent? And I'm like, zero for me. Well, and I, you know, I said, dude, mm. I said, Scotty will tell you. And he asked Scotty later, you know, arrogant, confident, whatever you want to call it. I'm like, dude, the moment I leave, if I've found a deer bedded, it's a hundred percent. I'm going to kill it. I don't always kill it, but in my mind it's, it's dead. Well, you got to have that attitude for sure. And, uh, and, and, you know, with him, he's like, ah, man, that's probably what 35% chance. And I'm like, fuck, I have no idea. I don't, let's go kill it. And we'll find out. Like, let's just go. But his brain works differently. And if we all drove red cars, it'd be a boring ass world. But like he is, his the deer he killed the one didn't, didn't bleed for a while. And I said, well, dude, when you shoot an animal, it's 30 to 40 yards at a minimum before it starts pumping blood. And a lot of times they die in that time and there is no blood. But after that 30 to 40, then you break it down of, okay, is it bleeding every 10 steps? Is it bleeding every five? Well, fuck, he's out there with a tape measure. At no shit. And I'm like, Cody, just take my word for it, dude. I've shot like 50 animals this year. They don't bleed for 30. And he measures it. He's like, 33 yards. And I'm like, pretty much what I told you. And But he has to quantify everything with a number. And that's just how his you know, brain works. So when people call me for certain info, I do. I'm like, hey, ask Cody. Because he's he's more anal retentive than, than I am. And a lot of times... I get to the point, I'm like, put a sharp, pointy object through the lungs, liver, heart. It's going to die. Don't put too much more effort into that. Like, you you want a good flying arrow. You want a tuned bow. But I'm like, man, you start breaking down, you know, 18 or 24% FOC. It's like, just build an arrow that flies good and shoot the fucking thing. Like, don't wrap up numbers too, too much. That's where I hand them over to Cody. Because for me, I'm like, look, 18% FOC is plenty. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't mess with more than that. It gets to be a negative more than a positive for me. Once I get over 18 to 20, just tuning. Mm-hmm. But Cody will break it down like, well, at 18.5, you'll win. I'm like, Jesus, Cody, that's way more effort than I've put into it. So his, it's good to have someone like that because I'm certainly not like that. Uh, not, not at his level. Right. Well, you got to have both. Cause it, you know, the, the anecdotes from the field don't always play out in the lab and stuff in the lab doesn't always play out in the field. I mean, I can't tell you the number of stupid things that we should have, that should have worked that we were issued in the Marines that just didn't play out yeah. in the field, but some guy <laughs> in an office somewhere important, you know, thought it was a good idea and there we go where you were doing it. Yep. Um, so you, I think you got to have that stuff coming from both and, and be able to kind of double corroborated, if you will, kind of uh, different methods coming out to the same answer. Yeah, and I and I I get to hunt more, right? So I mean, that's just by by my lifestyle, I'm, I get to put more arrows through animals than than most, and and how I've set the hunts up, and I go to good spots and everything, and so it doesn't, you know, I'm not not saying I'm a better or worse hunter or anything. It's just sheer math. I get to watch a lot of arrows go through animals, and and you learn a lot when that happens, and so. With Cody um, trying to um, not combat but compare notes on the, the Ashby theories. Mm-hmm. Jesus H, like, you know, th- they were shooting dead animals hanging for that. Their, their right. Testing. They don't have that muscle, you know, tense deflection. Yeah, yeah. They don't have stuff moving. Yeah. Exactly. And that's one thing I told Cody and we talked about. I said, dude, the number one killer of momentum is a fucking shoulder blade shifting when the animal, when the arrow hits. Like, you can't. It's shifting all its muscle and tensing it. So not only is it tensing up muscle, it's also moving it. So your mm-hmm. arrow flight is gone. It's shifted. And I'm like, dude, you're going to find out like muscles moving really screw up um, penetration depending on how fast it moves and muscle tensing mm-hmm. wind, right? Wind affects arrow flight, affects penetration. And so back in the day, like with the Ashby theory, um, they didn't have the technology of the bows nowadays. Um, even traditional bows have gotten better since 
And so when you look at the, which I understand the concept behind it, but you look at, you know, shoot an 800 grain arrow. No one wants to shoot an 800 grain arrow anymore, unless it's Asian water buffalo. You have the technology on a compound specifically to where there's a happy medium where you can have good speed and good arrow weight. Mm -hmm. Back then, Ashby only had heavy arrow weight. He didn't have good speed. I mean, and so again, that the, the testing on that, he's run a lot of numbers to kind of roll out that bag of snakes. So people have, um, a mead, median, and mode, I guess you could say to, to choose their, their arrow from, because I don't shoot that. I shoot a 600 grain arrow, which is compound wise. I always shot 550 to 600, uh, stick bow. I shoot a 600 grain arrow. I'm zipping through every animal and I'm decent FOC, but my, my main thing is I want my point on at 40. I want good arrow flight, want decent arrow weight and decent point weight. I really don't get too wrapped up in all the other shit because if I need to take 50 grains off my point weight to get arrow flight or add the FOC is inconsequential. I'm just wanting good arrow flight, um, and a decent weighted arrow, uh, Valkyrie, um, Brett gets a little uh, super over the top. Yeah, he's a little crazy on that. Like I shot a good buck. dude though. Oh, I love Brett. He's like twenty miles from me too. He's a, I've got picked up some stuff at his house before. He's he's a salt of the earth kind of fella. Oh, he's a nut. And I shoot this deer with his short jag, mm-hmm. and immediately he's like, "You would have blown through that offside shoulder with a long." And I'm like, "Dude, I broke the offside leg." Yeah, with a stick bow. Like, I don't think the extra half inch of that broadhead's going to make it poke through. But if that makes you feel better, I mean, we can say it would have. But I'm like, well, I don't been a half inch longer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so he gets super. Or, but a lot of the stuff he says, I agree with. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. yeah, I mean, but on certain things for me, like the short jag, isn't that short. Um, no, it's pretty long as far as standard broadheads. go. Yeah. Out. And so he literally was worried about sending him to me. Cause I killed like 20 some animals in one year with short jags. And I'm like, dude, I have no worries. This is going to go through. Cause I used to shoot, I don't pick a broadhead. Um, Oh, Wackums. Mm-hmm. Short little thing, right? Yeah, they're all little tiny things. Yeah, and I'm like, so, I mean, dude, I'm not worried about, you know, zipping through with this short jag at all. But he's got in his mind, it's got to be a three to one ratio head. I just don't buy off on that, that I'm getting plenty of penetration without that. And so a lot of people that follow Brad or follow me or, you know, follow, what's the dude's name in Texas? Uh, I thought it was a joke when they first told me the ranch ferry. Oh, I couldn't tell you. He's a, he shoots pigs and does FOC stuff. Anyway, hmm. depending upon who you're listening to, you can get wrapped up pretty quickly in, in a number, meaning I got to have 24% FOC. Right. And that can be a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's people get one, people over fixate on, on single numbers, either, you know, GPI or, um, you know, GPP as far as the weights of their arrows or FOC or, or whatever. And in my mind, the other thing that's can be annoying is people that just think that there's only one option when in reality you can have five different arrows that are all completely different weights, completely different spines, completely different tip weights. Everything's different that all tune out of the same bow because they're all playing with the parameters to get back to the middle. You could have something with a really stiff spine and heavy point weight, something with a, a weaker spine and light point weight that'll both tune evenly out of your bow. They might weigh 150 grains different, but what people need to do is is figure out what parameters they want to aim for and be willing to take, you know, the give and take that comes with all of it. If you're going for extreme FOC one, you're you're 
your flights, your, your tuning is going to be hard because it's going to mask so many of your tuning issues. Um, but then you also have to remember stuff like if you're going to do that and you're going to have that really long moment arm on the back end because you have so much tip weight and that fulcrum point is moved up, you know, you need to run smaller veins in the back because you need to have less steering because it has so much of a steering arm. Whereas somebody, somebody might say, oh, I want extreme FOC, but I also want to put, you know, four, four inch feathers on it or veins on it, um, trad veins. When in reality, that's that's actually going to be counterproductive because you get so much steering in the wind that it's actually going to cause your your tail to whip out way further. But that's not something people would realize unless they were building arrows. Um, you know, for me, my personal thing that I always run up against is it is physically impossible for me to build an arrow for my bow that I'm happy with that weighs less than 650 grains. It just I can't. I, I tried to build them fa- uh, lighter. And I just end up with a 650 grain arrow every single time. I've got three different manufacturers of shafts and components that are all the same weight. So, you know, people have their parameters and that's because I have, I have parameters and biases that I'm going for. I like overall weight. I like a a, a larger broadhead. So when I built my current setup, I had a hard number on the front end. I wanted 200 grains up front and the hundred and the hundred grain concentric setup because I was doing a day six set up to, um, you know, for the stainless being in Oregon, uh, that was really pretty critical for me. And I really wanted that big XL head cause it just looks really cool. Um, and big holes. I'm trying to future, I'm trying to me proof my arrows. So I want to make sure that if I hit the guts, I got a big cutting hole and it's heavy enough that if I hit a shoulder, it's going to go through. Um, just because I'm going to have shit running down both legs. Like you normally say the first time I actually get to shoot at something. So that's what I, I build for those parameters. But if you're someone who's shooting, you know, and you want to get a really fast setup out of your bow for axis deer, that's not how you want to build your arrow. You've got completely different parameters you're working with. Um, and so if you go with one person's opinion without going with somebody that has maybe a, a wide range of options and opinions that can work, you can get stuck with something that's not going to work for you quite right. No, I, I agree. And, and uh, I've, I've um, you know, talked with um, – you know, trying to stay where I'm not pissing everyone off, there is going to be people that give you advice that may have never put a an arrow through an animal that are unbelievable target shooters. And there's there's guys that are may put a lot of arrows through animals, but not the greatest at tuning or, or target shooting. And getting kind of a, a happy medium of all of those put together is not a horrible idea. Um, when I say that, meaning um, if you're going to, oh, I don't know, pick an animal and let's say a, a 28 inch draw. What's your draw? That's 28 and a half. Yeah. So a, a 28 to 29 inch draw and 55 pounds on a, uh, a stick bow and 70 on a compound. What I try to, I'm like, Hey, you know, where are you hunting? Right. What broadhead are you shooting? Uh, you know, get kind of all the, you know, what your draw length is, what you're comfortable with poundage or whatever. So if it's 55 and 70, well, in the case of like uh, my arrows, my arrow is heavy and I have heavy point weight. So mm-hmm. I kind of, it's a, not a misnomer. What would you want? It, the uh, small vein theory, because you have the big fulcrum up front, doesn't work because my arrow is heavy too. Right. Yeah. I'm talking <laughs> about if you're going like uh, XM packs with a 350 grain point of 42 grain outsert from Valkyrie, that's going to be like extreme. I'm, I'm glad you said that because um, when. <laughs> If you're shooting an extremely lightweight arrow like you're talking about, an extremely heavy point weight, 
it is extremely counterproductive to throw half a chicken wing on the back of that thing. Oh yeah. Um, in my case, I can get away with, I kind of need, well, I do four, three inch because my arrow is pretty heavy and my point weight is pretty heavy. So even though technically I have a higher FOC point weight, it's screwed up by a heavy arrow. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and I talked, Brett and I talked about this quite a bit because in my case, it doesn't work as well because the arrow is heavy. Um, but in other cases, like I just set up a guy's arrow X impacts. That's a great example. Super skinny, super lightweight arrow. He's like, should I put uh, three or four, four inch on the back of this? And I'm like, oh, fuck me. Neither, man. You don't need that. And I'm like, look, you have this giant weight up front. You don't need that much to steer that bad boy. And I'm like, and, and when you do, they almost, I don't want to say work against each other. But you're losing all the um, bonuses of that heavy point weight uh, by putting those four-inch vein or feathers on the back because it'll buck the wind better with less feathers or less vein. You know, that's one thing. It'll steer, I don't know about necessarily better, but really it steers just as good or better with a smaller vein than it does because you're getting the negative side of all those veins on the ass end of it, especially when you include wind. Right, your crosswind, if if you have long... And that's why I'm with you. I like a four, three inch or, or even, uh, with the compound setups, I've done a couple with the really little pro max veins, mm-hmm. uh, but a six fletch cause I wanted to have some extra steering, but I wanted it to not have that cross dimensional profile for sidewind. Um, and that's what I think where people run into is they want all of the steering, but they're, they have too big of a sail on there as opposed to having, I guess, more sails. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm probably not doing the greatest of job explaining it, but if you are setting up, oh, I set up my buddy Cody 250 Sabine X Impacts. It was a build that he literally was like, uh, it was so far away from what he normally shoots. He literally was like, is this going to work? I'm like, dude, this is going to be a killing machine. Because I did uh, 200 up front on an X Impact with a 70-pound bow, and we did three low-profile small veins. Yeah. And the first thing we did was 80 yards, shot a group, and it was a little lower than his other setup, which was like a 425, you know, standard gold tip or something. Um, but what I was showing, I'm like, dude, watch watch the wind drift. There, there is none. It, I said that point is pulling it through hypothetically or sort of pulling it through the wind. It's, it is you, your vein is, or your, your shaft isn't getting the drift because that heavy point weight is bucking through the wind. If you add those veins on the ass end, you're taking away all the glory of this point weight and this skinny little sh- shaft uh, because now you're catching, like you said, the whatever cross pattern wind drift or whatever you called it. So he immediately was like, these are the best groups I've ever shot. Mm-hmm. I was like, but he had, we had to leave the arrow a little longer because it was a, a stiffer spine. We didn't go any point weight. What he really noticed was penetration. He was blowing through more shit this year than he ever has because mm-hmm. you got this tiny little arrow, no real wind drift or drag on the back, and this crazy point weight, and it's just ripping through animals where before he was shooting that standard 75, 95, 450-grain, 425-grain mm-hmm. gold tip, uh, 246. Nothing wrong with that. It's killed for years. Oh, yeah. I mean, but it's, it's not as efficient by far is is like that x impact setup Mm -hmm. oh i mean and and sticks and stones did it for a long time but you know there's there's always nicer newer things which are fun to geek out on um and honestly like you're saying with that x impact i I, i'm shooting the day six ones and i usually shoot uh deep impacts for my other setups because i like that heavier uh heavier overall weight but i don't see any reason why anybody doesn't go to 
a micro diameter shaft. Besides the f- components being a little finicky on the front end, but even that's basically gone. Almost every manufacturer offers an inner outer combo front end that's indestructible. I don't see any reason why somebody should have not have a micro diameter shaft unless you're like a tournament shooter trying to cut lines. Outside of that, I, I really think everybody would benefit from going to a micro diameter. Granted, it takes a little more tuning effort and you got to be a little more precise because you're just kind of tighter everything, tighter tolerances. But, you know, if you can put in the work, they're going to outperform anything else. Yeah. The only, I'd agree, the only pain in the ass is components yeah. on, on skinnies. Now, for me, I kind of went, I really like the simplicity of a 246. Um, mm-hmm. When I say simplicity, I shot vintages forever. I had ethics components on the front. Um, you're not going to get as much penetration out of a 246. Now, you may have more than enough. I'm just saying when you do penetration testing, a skinny versus a 246, it's significantly <laughs> almost at a depressing level. Like I would bet if if we did a penetration test through, I don't know, plywood, even a foam block, doesn't matter. Uh, I would say a skinny penetrates 30% more if not than a two four six. Yeah, that sounds about right. Just because the it's bigger arrow, the drag, the components on a skinny are bigger, so it's plowing a hole. You're not getting the as much mm-hmm. drag. Um, well, but, you got to make a bigger hole in the first place for it to fit. So it's a lot more cuts you have to do, and a lot more shit that has to move out of the way. Yeah, no, exactly. And the the two four six, it's just easier. To, it's a bigger arrow to glue shit on. It's a bigger, you know, the components are pretty standard. So my happy medium is is I like the 204, which you just built them, you know. Right. A 204 is a real happy medium. The concentricity or the the runout is the big reason I like that hit insert. It is easier to get a broadhead to spin true with a uh, a rampage or an axis. For me, you've got a recessed um, component, so the concentricity or runout for the broadhead, the center alignment is is easier. Um, that's not to say you can't get it with a skinny because you can, but for a, a knuckle dragger in a hurry, a two a two hundred four is kind of the best all around. But it's still not going to out penetrate a skinny. It's just not. I mean, it's just not going to. Physics is a bitch, right? It's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, it, everything that we're doing is just min maxing to get the best performance. I mean, you could realistically kill a white tail. I would imagine with like a PS twenty seven target shaft and some monster broadhead on the front. I mean, you could make it work. It's just trying to, to foolproof your stuff and make it perform as best as possible in the biggest variety of scenarios and, you know, when, when shit hits the fan. No, you're, you're right. I mean, back in the day when I was much poorer and I couldn't afford hunting arrows, I would take uh, Cosmic Eclipse 2512s or like a PS23, like you're about the fat shafts, mm-hmm. and I'd have to make those work because I didn't have money. It'll kill. It just doesn't kill as efficient. Sure. There's no way around. I mean, when people argue about, oh, I've been shooting aluminums for 40 years. Do you take a rickshaw to work? Because I used to do those too. You know, like there's always, it's going to be, you know, better. And I'm the last guy to complain about a 246 shaft. I'm a big fan of, of, of what would be considered a fat shaft now. Like 15 years ago, a, a 246 was as good as it got. I mean, about, right? There's ACCs and, you know, then they had the full metal jackets. and But a 246 was a skinny shaft. Now, mm-hmm. fuck, man, that's like a, that's a line cutter. I mean, no one shoots 246s hardly. I, I find myself calling them fat shafts, too, when I'm yeah. talking to people. So well, it's, dude, we shoot a 3D tournament, and I shoot a vintage, and I pull that arrow out. Mine's the only one in the group where I'm like, Jesus, that's a big arrow. Even though it's, in in old days, it's not. A, I used to shoot 27 uh, 13s and 25 14s mm-hmm. out of a heavy compound. Yeah. 
that's a big arrow. You can fit a 246 inside that. But now you go to a, a, a target or a 3D course, generally one out of every five is actually shooting a 246. Everybody else is shooting a 166 or whatever the hell they are, smaller and skinny. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. One, it's the cool thing to do. But two, it is a better performing you know, arrow. Again, like I said, for me, a 204 is like the perfect happy medium. Um, but you know, there, it's still not going to outpenetrate um, – you know, side by side and in testing, no matter where you do it, wind drift and penetration, a skinny is going to, going to win. Um, yeah. And but you, you made a good point there with your happy medium. So much of this, you know, and, and even I, and you were talking about this, trying to get the maximum amount of performance out of everything. Honestly, middle of the road is going to be the best bet for most people on just about everything. I mean, you don't need to have the heaviest tip weight moderation. You don't need to have the smallest shaft diameter moderation. Generally the, the more middle of the road you are, the better it's going to work in the widest variety of situations. So people trying to, again, chase extremes in certain numbers being, you know, FOC or, um, you know, trying to get a skinnier shaft, you know, if you're going to go to revelations or something that are even smaller, um, you know, there's going to be diminishing returns. There's only, there's only so, so good. You're going to make an arrow. I mean, it's still a, a stick launched out of a boat and, and a revelation, for example, cause I, I shoot those a lot. They're expensive, right? Mm. They are about bulletproof. They're hard to break. I mean, it's about pure carbon cause it's so small component wise. There's going to be a deficiency up front on any super skinny shaft because at that fulcrum, that bending point where the component goes into the carbon it's going to be weaker there. Now, you know, for in my case, I put focus components on some of mine and I put ethics on others. They're all weak compared to other components mm-hmm. um, just because the arrow's so small. Now, will it buck the wind better? Definitely. Um, does it outpenetrate 100%? Is it worth it on the, the pain in the ass of the components? I would say if you're... Um, vertically challenged uh maybe not as strong as 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 others where um he's looking right at me for the record yeah well my my wife for example she shoots a uh 246 she shoots outlaws mm-hmm. killed everything she shot at we go elk hunting she's not going to shoot a 246 like this year i'm going to 2021 i'm going to set her up with x impacts nice i just did the outlaws first they were cheap one uh you know she just had started uh, we were shooting turkey, so I wasn't really worried about penetration. Hell, I mm-hmm. want the arrow to stay in. But, like, I'm going to be curious to see when I set her up with what I would set up now that she's seasoned a little more, right? She she can shoot really well. How much she notices the difference of a 246 and standard components to an X impact, really built more for bucking the wind, built more for penetration. And, and she can shoot well enough, she's going to be able to tell. So it'll be kind of interesting for me to see once I set those up because I'm going to put smaller veins on the back. I'm going to load up the point weight a little more. I still want her to be in that 425, uh, 425 grain range because mm-hmm. I just don't like arrows. Even that's light for me. Yeah, it's pretty light. Um, but with a cut-on contact head, I'm not. she'll zip through whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, What's she pulling now, like 50, 55? She's right at 50. Okay. Um, and she, So I have her set up with a 400 spine, well, for her hunting bow, a 400 spine outlaw with – 150 grains up front. It's a pretty mm-hmm. standard shaft, right? There's nothing ex- like extravagant about that. The the X impact I'm going to set up for her, and she's shooting four uh, two and three quarter inch AAE veins. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to set her up now with probably a 1.75 uh, vein on the back end, four of them, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit lower profile, and then load up like 175 to 200 up front. Uh, and yeah, you can get away like with it. 
Yeah, well, you can get away with that with an X impact. That's kind of the glory of that that shaft. It's a killer shaft. I mean, I again, I I tried making a setup with them, and I somehow still ended up being six hundred fifty grades. I have no idea how I do it, but what, it's. Uh, do you it's, use a three hundred spine? Yes, I use a 300 spine, and I also, although I have a relatively short draw length, I start all my arrows out full length, and I want to tune, I have a specific point weight and everything in mind, but my goal is to have the longest arrow possible that still tunes, because um, that tunes right, because in my mind, what I've seen, um, in, in, at least in th physics theory, uh, the longer the arrow, the faster it should recover from um, from paradox and I find they just they just tend to fly better for me I, I get pretty fast recovery out of my bobbly with a with a you know 31 and a half inch whatever arrow and that's one thing um, and I'm shooting about a 31 inch now that's one thing you'll notice and we do a lot of slow-mo photography and photos when you talk about the recovery mm -hmm. uh, one thing you'll notice with a extreme high FOC the paradox is still cracking at 30 yards. You're still seeing that thing flex trying right. to recover where when you get that happy medium, it'll recover in 10 yards, usually, mm -hmm. you know, pretty quick. Um, we have markers when we test this out there so I can see this big flag of where it's straightening out. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so for me, I actually, I don't, has nothing to do with the paradox. My arrow length is a totally dependent on my point on. Right. Like, and it, everyone's different. And so I was trying to explain last night, a buddy of mine, uh, Tony Clem, he's a tournament archer. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, dude, put the point on the target at 40, let her rip. He's like, what? And I'm like, literally just throw the point on. I got a gargoyle at 40 and he hit it shot. And I'm like, I, I gap shoot, you know? And, and so he's like, well, how'd you figure that out? And I said, well, now I built so much uh, arrows. I know immediately whether it's a 250 spine or a 400, well, I can't, a 350. Mm-hmm. I know the amount of point weight um, and everything I'm going to have to have to end up roughly because the shorter I cut that arrow, the farther my point on is. Mm -hmm. And so 300 spine arrows with 275 to 300 grains up front gets me the length I need with the poundage I have to have a 38 to 40 yard point on. Mm -hmm. And so I tried 250 spine X impacts. My point on was like, like 32 yards because it, it was so damn long right a little longer yeah. so i started screwing in point weight well then i ran into this spaghetti noodle of an arrow trying to recover because i shit dude i ended up having like 375 up front which is way too much for for me well so, for next impact too yeah well and i'm lobbing logs um one because it's super heavy so cody my buddy ended up with those arrows for his compound uh when we said that setup i was telling you about so if I went to X impacts, it'd be a 300 spine, same setup I have right now. And it would be about the same weight. The, the problem, like trying to convey that over the phone is about like a fucking riding a unicorn, like trying to explain to people, okay, dude, well, are you shooting a longbow or a recurve? All right. What's your shelf cut at? Okay. Do you have a clean release? Do you have a bad release? Okay. Um, poundage wise, whatever. I can't guess. I'm not good enough. I can get them close, but they're like, hey, I'm going to have some arrows built. What should I cut them at? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't even know what bow you shoot. I know you shoot 55 pounds, but if you shoot a long bow, it tunes out completely different than a, a recurve cut 316th past center. Dude, that, like, I, I do not envy you trying to answer those questions. Yeah, but I, I love doing it. It's There's just something about it. And, and in fact, I've got... Um, I've got an uncle who's a, a mathematician. He's got like 85 PhDs and he's a professor. So I'm trying, I want to see if I can rope him into helping me out on this project. But I, I have a theory involving arrow building and tuning that 
because when people think about something like, oh, I'm going to move the shelf out on my, my bow, it's going to make my arrow act weaker. It doesn't make your arrow act weaker. Your arrow is going to act exactly the same as the way it acted because you didn't change anything on the arrow. What you're doing is you're changing what your bow needs from the arrow. You have basically two sliding scales, right? You've got your bows tuned towards whether it needs a weak or stiff arrow, and then you've got your arrow being weak or stiff dynamically. You know, you factor in length and point weight and, and the static spine and all that. And I want to get to a point, I think it's possible, where you could just have a formula. Like, hey, this is a bow that, that shoots, you know, it's this poundage, it shoots this speed with a 10 grain per, you know, whatever a standard arrow size. Um, and I want this spine and this length, and then it would tell you all the rest, just basically calculate it. Because in theory, if you knew all of the variables, you should be able to calculate that off the jump. Um, and it's just something that you and I and people who've done this for a long time do in our heads. I just feel like there's a way you should be able to get that on the paper or in a spreadsheet or something. No, I'm sure there is. And, and I, I, I agree with you, except micro-tuning. Um, when I get to micro-tuning, um, and again, my release isn't clean enough to do that much micro-tuning because I could shoot three arrows micro-tuning and have a little bit of off-release on each right. one. So I try, like my arrow rest, I set my, my arrow rest the same way on a compound and a stick bow. There's a, a certain... Well, on a compound, it's usually seven eighths off the shelf or whatever. Mm -hmm. But on my my stick bow, I literally look down the center of the riser. You know, um, on an ILF rig, I've got an Allen bolt. I can't screw up. Right. I look down the center of that. I look down my arrow, and I usually have the tip of my arrow when it's not at full draw, just left of the center of my string. Mm -hmm. I tune from there. So I cut my arrow length. I cut my arrow off of there, and I try to keep. What it boils down to is um, the way I can't and I lean and I shoot and everything mm -hmm. else. I can move it in or out from there, but that just seems to be like the best luck I've had. And that could be total bro science and just stuck in my mind, but I tune from there. So I cut the arrow down from that point because mm -hmm. I really don't want to move the rest in and out from that position because that's where I've been comfortable with. Um, and again, trying to explain that to to people like they call me and they're like my arrow rest is all the way out to the left i'm shooting a i don't pick a you know what makes sense should tune mm -hmm. i'm like well how's your cam lean what and i'm like is your do you have any cam lean do you have you know there's so many variables in that i think you could get close the rest would be micro oh yeah it'd be micro tuning in my mind i and i I haven't tuned even a percent of the compounds that you've tuned. I'm not the compound guy. Brett's the compound guy. But I've been working on it and, and working on the theory of it. And in my mind, what I want is a bow that is, I want to start with a compound that is centered and um, in spec. Something that's, uh, you know, the rest is centered and it's in the right spot. You're not having to kick it left and right. Um, you know, you're everything's just even and kind of in the, the happy middle of where that bow should be performing, then you should tune your arrow to that bow. And I think compound should do it pretty similar to trad where you're starting with a, a rough length and then you I get know, beat up a lot for saying what you shot doing by, by pro shops. Oh yeah. Well, I'm not telling it. I don't think, you know, I think this is something that I agree you know, with you. Levi's not going to a pro shop and having people tune his bow because he has demands that a pro shop shouldn't have to, you know, I'm not saying shouldn't have to, but this is outside of their wheelhouse. And that's what I'm talking about here. But yeah, I think you should bear shaft tune an arrow the same way you do the trad bow. You're cutting it shorter, you know, eighth or whatever at a time. You get that really close and then you micro tune with stuff on your bow, like your lean or your, you know, moving your rest out of touch. What you said, I think is a big eye opener for people if they can't get a 
you know, you have a 28 inch draw and you have 150 grains up front and you're shooting 70 pounds. If you, you're, if your arrow is not flying correctly and it's a 350 spine, mm-hmm. um, there's probably something wrong with your bow. Um, yeah. you know what I mean? So when I get some of those people, I'm like, dude, you got to have contact. You got, there's something going on because if you're giving me the right stats and your right draw lengths and your right poundage, there's no way that that arrow can't not fly through your bow. Like At least close. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, do you, you know, your bow's fucked up is what I'm like. Look, it's, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with your bow. Well, what could be wrong with it? I'm like, man, out of tune, out of time. You you could have contact. There's a, a, no cam lean, too much cam lean. It's so almost it, infinite. Yeah, it, it is. And and that's where, like, me trying to answer on online, I'm like, dude, I can only guess. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was there, I might be able to look and two seconds and, and tell you and sometimes you just get a limb and bow i mean sometimes you just have a shitty bow they gotta fix or bad limbs or whatever and the stick bow is no different like you know i had to kind of relearn um archery or tuning when i picked up the recurve it's same basic principles but it, it's there's it's honestly easier for me to tune a compound than a stick uh it's sometimes mm-hmm. and when i say that meaning you have a lot more shit to adjust on a compound. Oh, yeah. You're stuck with like four parameters on a trad bow. With a compound, you can do a hundred things to make something fly different. Well, and, and one of the reasons I like an ILF rig uh, is I can adjust. I, I get pretty anal, so I'll mm-hmm. add a crank, take away a crank on a limb pocket. Can't do that on a standard, you know, pick a bow, whatever, Black Widow, Black yeah, Eagle, Black, black whatever, or, or uh, Black Tail. Well, with a compound, it seems sacrilege for people to back the limb off of bottomed out for some people. And... They're like, oh, I'm tearing a little weak, and they send the tear, and it's, let's say, a half inch left. Or, and I'm like, well, just take a crank off your limb. They don't, no, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, so you'll shoot shitty arrow flight, and you won't, you know, you won't take a crank. I'm like, believe me, that crank off the limb is not going to cost you an animal as much as fucked up arrow flight. Oh, and yeah. People get certain things wrapped up in their mind where, and I was the same way when I was younger. I wouldn't, I bottomed it out. I, no way in hell am I going to take a crank off of this, where now I really don't give a shit within reason if i got to take a crank off or add a crank or whatever to make a perfect arrow flight that's how i'm able to bear shaft uh, mm-hmm. out to 40 50 yards is i'm messing a lot sometimes with the poundage if if i fire a bear shaft center shot's perfect everything's great and i fire a bear shaft and my bear shaft hits i don't know six inches right so mm-hmm. it's tearing left out of the bow i can take a crank off of that limb and usually zips it right in the middle um one, people will act, walk into pro shops and say, Aaron said to do this, and they do not like that shit. I get phone calls from pro shops frequently, and it's like, well, I didn't tell him to tell you to do that. That was just what right. I do. It's what I do. And it, he's like, well, dude, we don't have time. You know, I've had multiple shops. I mean, we don't have time. Like, you need to make sure people know that this is not a pro shop. A, a This is not a service a general normal pro shop offers. Like, most pro shops don't even have a 40-yard indoor range. Right. So, bear shaft tuning at 40 for a pro shop it's not an option mm-hmm. and and then if the guy's skill level isn't commensurate with the ability is it that what he wants i mean if you can't shoot a a softball group at 40 and you're trying to bear shaft well that's a clusterfuck altogether oh, by yeah. itself so you, you have to have some skill set and i'm only talking about this so people listening in you know, when you're, when you're trying to really get meticulous, there is sometimes where you need to drop the numbers and work on shooting more than you do for maybe working on the arrow, but yeah, that's again, the problem with numbers is that people think Mo poundage, Mo beta, Mo fock, Mo beta, more, more like point weight. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like whatever, just more of it's going to be better. And that's just not, 
archery is, a, is about balance. It's about uh, everything being in time and and done properly and and in the you know the efficient right manner. Honestly, I think most people would really benefit from learning to tune a trad bow, especially like something like a Bob Lee where you don't have those micro adjusts and something you're not going to have the ILF, I guess any non ILF bow. Um, you're not going to have all those adjustments because it forces you to tune without all of those options. It makes you a better archer. Right. And then, then when you're like, Oh hell, I can do all of this stuff. You can really get your bow dialed. But if you just started with a compound and your idea is, Oh, I'm going to get an arrow that's cut to half inch longer. And it's going to be this spine. And I'm going to put a hundred point tip on it or hundred grain tip. And then you're having to tune your bow from there. And that's the only way, you know, you're not going to get as good performance as if you learn how to do it the good old fashioned way and then applied the modern conveniences to that method. No, I, I agree. But man, I, uh, I, we've been on an hour over an hour and 15 minutes Jeez. and, uh, yeah, I know. Right. Time flow was, flies by and my wife's probably going to kill me cause I'm leaving for a month and a few days. So I should probably get off of here. Give everybody, um, your info again, where they can uh, find your services, your, your social media pages, all that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's shield wall archery and supply. Um, most of our stuff's just going to be through the website and the nice part and kind of the annoying part is custom arrows aren't really conducive to like a good order form. So what we have is a contact form on there, or you can call our number for the shop and you're just going to speak to us directly and we're going to work it out with you. Um, so it's not just a, an impersonal, Hey, this is what I need. And then you get it shipped to you. We're really going to kind of massage that through with you. Um, so the website's just shieldwallarcherysupply.com. Um, Instagram Shieldwall Archery, and then my personal Instagram. In case anybody has any questions, is uh, Jeff Danger Peterson with the underscores in the middle because uh, Danger is my middle name. <laughs> um, that that's been around. I've had that same handle since uh, Facebook was opened up to non college <laughs> students back in like twenty, you know, whatever oh seven or something like that uh, when I was in high school. Um, anyway, so yeah, I any questions you have, anything you want to discuss, I'm a, I'm an archery nerd. I can talk about this stuff forever, um, but I'm not a numbers guy like Cody, so you can you know listen to me for more than ten minutes without glazing over. No kidding, it's starting to nod off. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate you getting these built up for me. Actually, while we were on the podcast i was uh, messaging bill with iron will and randy to send you some more arrows they turned out I, you said you weren't uh they weren't perfect but um i have to say if those aren't perfect then people will be super happy because they look pretty damn good to to me so yeah i'm, a, I'm an anal retentive guy like you said about you know what do you get out of the military from being the marines honestly besides um you know the ability to drink excessively and shoot at 500 yards basically i got attention to detail because it only takes getting your ass beat because somebody didn't wipe the underside of the sink faucet um it doesn't take long of that before you really start paying attention to the details it, it's funny um you wouldn't think i know how to iron right um your clothing oh that you iron like a motherfucker oh yeah uh, chad came in my uh we were when we were in wyoming he came in my uh my room and i was ironing he's like you know how to iron and i'm like you can't be in a combat MOS and not iron, dude. You get the fucking shit kicked out of you. Yeah. And he's like, what you? I said, you got to iron your uniform. I you said, unless you're hot. inherently wealthy. And I said, and no soldier is wealthy. And I'm like, so you can't play mama-san to, to iron your shit. You're going to have to do it. And he was like, how, how well can you iron? And I'm like, I guess if there was a PhD, I've got it. I was like, mm -hmm. dude, I had to iron every day of my life for, you know, whatever, six, eight years. Right. And I, I grew up Mormon, so I started off with that. And then the, the real secret for any of you aspiring military people is get in charge of Firewatch and you can make anybody do anything for you. 
because yeah, you can no keep shit. you can make sure that they don't get any sleep otherwise <laughs> oh that's i haven't i don't even want to i'm having flashbacks from firewatch right now firewatch sucks for if you've never been in the military um yeah but i would suggest joining and find out on your own uh definitely join up and then volunteer for firewatch it's great Oh, yeah, you'll love it. I mean, and don't piss off the guy that's in charge of it. This will be the last story. But when I was in, there was a guy that was just a major, you know, you always get those shit bags when you're going through boot that you don't know why they're there. They just won't give up because they're too stupid or whatever it is. But he was just, he just could not do anything right. Um, and he, I don't remember what he messed up and got us all in trouble. But anyway, I put him on fire watch for three days straight where he was sleep for an hour, up for an hour, sleep for an hour, up for an hour until he like passed out. And the drill instructor said, I couldn't do that anymore. Um, allegedly did all that, but yeah. So yeah, don't piss off that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, man, thanks for coming on everybody. Go, uh, definitely take a look at the arrows. If you're needing arrows built, uh, these guys do a great job. Um, so yeah, man, thank you. Yeah. Thanks again for having us. Yep. No problem.